Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Courtside with. Jeez, uh, man, I can't hear anything with all the dribbling. So, as I was trying to tell you, this is a new thing called Courtside with Kellen. Kellen Olsen's our son's brainiac, and he knows everything about the Suns and the players like Kellen, so he's got that going for him. Anyhow, here's Kellen. And he's brought to you by Southwest Gas, committed to exceeding expectations today while innovating sustainable solutions for tomorrow. Honestly, it's going to take me until January to get used to the fanciness of that intro. I mean, it's 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 fancy. It's fancy. It's fancy. Kellen Olson, Suns guru, joining us here in studio, talk Suns basketball. This is good every Thursday at three thirty kind of thing. Kellen coming in, and we're just kicking it around for ten minutes or so. What's going on, Kellen? Not much, man. Very exciting week in Sunsland. Two big games. We already saw one that I think was a lot more electric than people expected, and I'm expecting the same tomorrow night. What was? What would you? You call the main reason why so many people doubted the Suns going into this season, talked about how bad the vibe was. We could focus on about four of them, but what do you think the main reason was? It, it was the tailspin in, in Game 7 for sure. Just with the stage that they sort of had, it, it was that ESPN note that we got about the opener, right? That it was like the most watched uh, late game they had on a season opening night for ESPN in like five or six years or whatever. There was a lot of intrigue around that series already as it was. And, and for them to tail spin out the way that they did on that type of stage, it was just so many people's locked in impression going, you guys know how that is. Like if we watch the, the Jets that one week we get them and we see Zach Wilson throw for 350 yards and four touchdowns, like, man, that could, that could, we're not watching the other 16 games that he's going to play this year, of course, but that one impression you give so many people. And I think for a lot of people, both just casual basketball and sports fans, but also just experts kind of locking in on that and just immediately red flags come up from that going forward. So I think that's what led to a gambo, but of course there were a lot of Sparks that got ignited over over the summer as well. Well, the DA stuff and the mm-hmm. Jay stuff and the Sarver stuff. And the, I mean, it was this narrative was being, this picture was kind of being painted all summer long. And it's, I, I look, I know we're one week into the season, but we, we opened the show with it. There's already been almost like this somewhat of a national reckoning about the Suns. Like, oops, okay, our bad. They're, they're still, they're still <laughs> contenders. Uh, they're still really good. And, you know, whether it's Priscilla on his podcast or Pro Basketball talk.com and whatever the case may be there does seem to be and I got to imagine from the Suns perspective that that I'm sure there's a little bit of a message here that they're trying to send to everybody like okay yeah y'all write us off that's that's fine that's cool don't talk about us all you want we're still pretty good around here right yeah I think DA after practice today used the word vengeance it was either vengeance or revenge kind of the same sort of things with the way that he's approaching this, this season as well but man I don't know if you guys watched any of the, the Bucks in the Nets game you guys were probably I think you guys were still on the I air did watch some of it. The I first was, quarter I was, was ugly it. game. It was just ugly basketball from both teams. Like Brooklyn's off to a terrible start, but Milwaukee as well. And then, I mean, the Lakers speak for themselves. The Nuggets, in fact, were, I mean, they were within three points of the Lakers at halftime. They've got a lot of stuff to figure out. And I'm just looking across the league right now, and I think at least two-thirds of the league, even even the lower teams, but all the way up to the higher teams, are trying to figure a lot of stuff out. The Clippers Unless you're are, the Jazz, you've got it all figured out. Trade your best players, get a bunch of players that nobody cares about, a bunch of draft picks, and just go win all your games. But that's part of my point is that the teams that are coming in with some level of continuity right now or just gelling right now are really taking advantage of a lot of the league right now that is not figuring out. And we've used the word continuity for two years with this team and look everything that happened. Yes, there are a couple of rotation changes, but they've been pretty minimal. And this is still the same 
core group that it was. So I'm not surprised at all that they're off to this kind of start and, and that they're going to continue to be. I, I picked them to win the most games of the Western Conference this year. I think in the regular season, they're still going to be an absolute monster. It's just the questions that come up once we get to the postseason. We're going to talk about that right now because it's October. No, but we but they're also building towards what's going to happen in the postseason. And that was kind of the narrative from James Jones yesterday when we had him on about kind of thinking long term about Chris Paul. And, it, you know, you, you're around this team every day as often as you possibly can be for what you do for ArizonaSports.com. What, what do you think got fixed or what do you think got answered with how Chris played the other night against the Warriors? Yeah, I don't know how much of the sound you guys played, but pregame and post, it was really interesting to hear from Monty and, and Chris as well. But Monty pregame said that this is actually something Chris has wanted for a couple of years now is to play off the ball more. And when you're a lead playmaker and, and you dominate the ball that the way that he does, I mean, if you guys really think about Chris Paul's career, his rookie year, it's not a Chris Paul team yet because he's Chris, he's, he's a rookie. Maybe a Houston year or two with James Harden, you to classify that as a James Harden team, but every other year of his career, it has been a Chris Paul team. It has been about what he does on the ball, his leadership, and so on. And we're going to talk about Devin Booker in a minute, I assume. Like, this is a Devin Booker team. Four games in, this is a Devin Booker team. It was it was not last year. It was not the year before. It was always led by Chris Paul, both him on the ball and his leadership off the court. His leadership off the court is still there, of course, but on the ball, he's less of a prominent figure, and it gets him off the ball more, where he's going to be able to save his legs a little bit more and take advantage of more of his play. But there's an adjustment there for anyone. It, it's Chris Paul. He's a genius. He thinks the game unlike anyone else we've ever seen in the history of the sport, in my opinion. But with that being said, it's an adjustment to play off the ball after 15, 16, it's been 17 years now of him leading the show like that. And when you think about it off the ball, he's a career 44% three-point shooter on catch and shoots. So he's going to be great there. And then if you think about someone going to close him out and taking him off the line if they want to eventually when he starts knocking these down, now you're talking about Chris Paul going into a defense that's recovering. Chris Paul's going to make the right decision every time. He's going to get to that elbow pull-up, so he's going to adapt and get into that role. It's just a matter of how long does it take him. Does it take him two weeks, a month, three months? You guys remember the 8-8 eight and eight start last year and or two years ago, and then the 1-3 and three start last year. Like They're going to figure it out eventually. It was just a matter of how long it's going to take and in, in a more minor way for Chris. I think that's the thing Chris that just, he's just going to have to figure Chris out. Chris just has to shoot it because there yeah. are teams out there that are realizing, like, look, I'm not going to give you the elbow jumper anymore. I'm not. I'm going to leave you open and I'm going to let you take a three-point shot and Chris is mine. I'm, I'm going to miss that shot more times than I take it, but the elbow jumper, I'm going to make 80 to 90% of the time, I'm going to hit that elbow jumper. So he's just got to take it. He wouldn't take it against Dallas. He wouldn't take it. If you noticed about that game the other night, like all of those shots were wide open. They were wide open. There wasn't anybody really guarding him. So he's got to just, he's got to take that shot. I agree. I mean, he's just got to get it in his mind that 40, 45% on those shots are really, really good. And if you have that instead of the elbow jumper, just take it. And you look at the other players on the team, that's where I think what Monty was getting at pregame uh, two nights ago was that I, in Chris's mind, it's like, well, I can get Cam a shot or I can get Mikel a shot. And it's like, well, their numbers are probably a little bit worse than yours in those catch and shoots. Like, you think of them as the shooters on this team and Book as well as excellent shooters. You're an excellent shooter as well. Yeah. And he needs to take those looks. The elbow jumper thing is really fascinating, Gambo, because you guys the last couple of days have been talking about the numbers with his age and how rare it is. The thing I've always noticed about his shots, some guys get vertical on their jumper more than others. He 
gets really vertical, and that's where you look at his legs and just wonder how much he has in the tank there in terms of getting vertical on those jump shots, on those elbow jumpers so many times. We'll see when he starts to get to it. He's going to have a game here in the next three or four where he hits five or six of them, and it's like he never left. But the three started to go down Gamble last game. Now we need to see those elbow jumpers come back because that's where he's unstoppable. All right, let's talk about we'll talk about Booker in a second. Let's talk about Cam Johnson and and the slow-ish start that it's been. I know there have been some injuries and some lingering stuff, but this this idea of Cam Johnson as a starter, it's, it's not off to the bang-bang start that everybody thought. What What's kind of being said, and what are you hearing about the start Cam's off to so far? I think the thing to understand about Cam is that when he has an injury, it takes him a while to kind of get back, and just unfortunately for him, he keeps catching a bad break. I mean, goodness gracious, Gambo, he messes up his tailbone two games ago, and then a game ago, Draymond shoves Jock Landale into Cam. Cam takes a fall right on that tailbone again, and you could kind of see the frustration on that his face. dirty like, Draymond Green. <laughs> but think about it from Cam's position. The game's over. There's five minutes left in the game. Like, he probably shouldn't even been in the in the game, to be honest. It was wrapped up. And then he takes that fall, and he's like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I, I fall on this thing again, and, and he had, like, a bump on his eye after the opener. It's just, it, it, it takes him a bit, statistically, from what we've seen to kind of get back into form. And last year, when he comes back from the injury, he just wasn't quite the same guy. And I think when he gets hurt, it, it takes him a little bit to get there, and he, he's going to be fine. Now, the thing that I'm okay with, if he shoots 30% from the field, and they keep outscoring teams the way that they have with those five on the court, I don't care what he's shooting, to be honest. I don't, because they are obliterating teams right now four games in through the tiny sample size we've seen when those five guys are on the court together. But you think about the rhythm standpoint for Cam as well. Cramps the first game. The second game, the tailbone. The third game, I, I believe it was the third game he had foul trouble, or it was the fourth game he misses, or no, he played the third game. One of those two, I'm sorry. He, he had foul trouble in, and, and just a rhythm standpoint, it'll help him there a lot easier, I think, once he gets that out. Alright, I know you watched every single European Dario Saric game. Sure did, Gambo. I, I, got, I got reports. I got, I got good reports, and I had brought up the fact that from what I was hearing, Dario was not playing very well. He was slow. He was sluggish. He was having a hard time getting up and down the court. My reports were saying that he probably wasn't going to be able to help the Suns early this season. So far, he's played two minutes through these four games. Do you think that's more of a product of him just not being ready? Or some people have speculated that maybe they could be holding on to him for a possible future trade? It's a really good question. By the way, that was Eurobasket, and that brings up one of my favorite Burns and Gamble bits ever, where four years ago you guys were talking about Luca playing in Eurobasket and you guys were like, who's watching Eurobasket anyway? We're like, other than that nerd, Kellen, probably no one is watching Eurobasket. <laughs> You're right. I was up at 3 a.m. watching them play Estonia yeah, Gambo right, because right, I have yeah. a problem. You I watched have a problem. some of those games. I watched yeah. all of them. I watched every second he played Gambo. And, and he honestly, wasn't good. To that point, he wasn't good, but I thought athletically, like he had a bit of like burst. He looked in phenomenal shape for a guy coming off that knee injury. But the impact on the game, when you're at that level, which is a bit lower than the NBA, to be honest, that level of European international play, someone like him who's an NBA player making $10 million a year, he's got to dominate in some stretches or even just consistently impact the game. And he wasn't able to. And and that's where the concern kind of came from. But I, I think, honestly, it just has more to do with how perfect Jock Landale is for what they do and really how well he's played. All right, um, Pelicans preview stuff for ArizonaSports.com. What we can look forward to, because I know there's a lot of talk today about the Pels. Yeah, I'll, I'll plug that on ArizonaSports.com and just plug your guys' show tomorrow because you guys are going to be playing a lot of the sound from today's practice from Monty Williams and DeAndre. And they just talked about how these two teams, it's almost like looking in a mirror with the similarities between these two teams and the way that I'm writing about it on the side is I think this is going to be a huge rivalry for them in the next couple of years. Not not one where there's bad blood or anything like that, but just like they, they have a ton of respect 
for each other, but when they play, it's just they know each other so well that it inevitably just leads to the physicality that they're going to play with. So read that, listen to you guys tomorrow, and watch the game tomorrow night, because it's going to be a great one, I All think. Right, good stuff, Kellen. We appreciate the time. Thanks for swinging in. You got Thank it? you. All right, Kellen Olson from ArizonaSports.com, our resident Suns guru here on the Burns and Gambo Show.